Welcome to my vagina. This is Jesse Karen. And this is Rebecca Frank. And here we are again, having our current historical, hysterical, and infuriating conversation about our lives as vagina-having organisms. All content made up on the spot, but probably researched. Just kidding, fools. It's definitely researched. Sounded so angry. I didn't mean for it to. <laughs> it's definitely a razor. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's how I feel right now. <laughs> yeah, shit's crazy. Yeah, so today, you know, we first want to start out by acknowledging that this is happening and that we should definitely pay attention to it and we should find all the resources and email and uh, protest and as we've talked about before off the air, everyone has their own lane. Please try not to shame yourself as long as you're putting the work in in some way, donating to the cause or donating to local businesses that are owned by black people or emailing the higher ups. <laughs> yeah, educating yourself, having hard conversations with your friends and family. Um, you know, the it's work that we unfortunately uh, have to do all the time because even though we're seeing some pretty awesome um, steps so far, there's still like a lot of stuff that we need to do in our daily lives. So if you're not putting in the work, we have put some resources in the notes so you can go to those and do all that shit. <laughs> yeah, I'll put in, uh, we're going to put in a reading list, some places to donate. Uh, and just like one thing that I wanted to make sure we just uh, talked about this right before we came on is that um, one of the big places people are donating now is bail mm -hmm. funds, uh, which is really important. But before you donate, make sure that there is actually cash bail in the location to which you're donating. For example, D.C. does not have cash bail. So any organization mm -hmm. that's raising money for cash bail in D.C. is a scam. Uh, mm -hmm. Like anything, there are always going to be people trying to take advantage, which is fucked but yeah people are assholes so <laughs> um and you know for people who are putting in the work and who are either protesting and you know going out there and doing shit um uh, god I'm, i have such a way with words it's so romantic <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking staten island uh gotta throw one bad word in there <laughs> there's uh even though right now our attention is really focused on the protests uh and like these big missions that we have to take down Confederate statues, to defund the police, to work towards ending racism and police brutality. There are so many people in the past who have done this work and people who continue to do the work today in completely different areas. And so we're going to highlight a couple of those. Next thing I'm going to give him six feet in the cold, cold ground. You can never tell what an old, old Man do. Okay, so in honor of Pride Month, I chose Gladys Alberta Bentley. She was a gender-bending blues performer who became 1920s Harlem royalty. Wow! She is pretty cool. She was known for donning a top hat and tuxedo. She performed in Harlem spots like the Clam House which was a Prohibition-era speakeasy in Harlem. She also uh, performed a lot at the, I could be saying this wrong, the Ubangi Club. It's U-B-A-N-G-I. Yeah, she's considered one of the boldest performers of her era. I think that some people would even suggest that maybe she's the bee's knees or the cat's pajamas. The cat's meow? The cat's meow, even. Wow. <laughs> I think what you mean is meow. <laughs> <laughs> 
So when she wasn't accompanied by her piano, she often went through the audience flirting with women in the crowd and soliciting dirty lyrics as she sang to them. So she was like super known for her gender bending blues numbers. That's awesome. I know. She is pretty fucking incredible. According to author Jim Wilson, she would take popular songs of the day and just put the filthiest lyrics possible. She took songs like Sweet Alice Blue Gown and Georgia Brown and combined them and it became a song about anal sex. (laughs) Yes. Dwandalyn Reese, curator of music and performing arts at the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture, said that Bentley was not the first to sing raunchy music, but she was still breaking barriers by pushing the boundaries of public taste in a way that would have been much more suitable for a man to do. Mm-hmm. Which is true, because we have to like look at the times and how fucking groundbreaking this must have been. Not only to be a black woman, not only to just be a lesbian, but one who is like straight up wearing a top hat, a tailcoat, and dressing strictly as a man. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that would even be, that would be a little bit like off-putting even today to some people, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like it's totally dependent on where you are, which is also kind of another reason why she might have moved to New York in the first place. A lot of sources say that she was born in Philadelphia, but um, during the Grouch Marco show, Grouch how Oh, my God. Groucho Groucho Mark Mark show. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I got stuck in a cycle. I couldn't undo Grouch. (laughs) In the Groucho Mark show, she in 1958, she actually did let it slip that she was um, born in Port-au-Prince because her parents were from Trinidad. So um, but it's no surprise that she moved to Harlem Uh, where she would have been more accepted in a community that was home to other sexually fluid entertainers like Bessie Smith and Ethel Waters. Historian Henry Louis Gates Jr. even described the Harlem Renaissance by by saying, it's surely as gay as it is black. That's awesome. Yeah. So it was just like this huge community. And they also apparently like back during Prohibition era, uh, the police turned a blind eye to it. People, many of whom were white, were seeking entertainment and covert access to alcohol crowded into Harlem nightclubs and all the speakeasies and parties. It's interesting that, like, to me, that all the, like, white people, like, fled to Harlem when, uh, you know, all these all the alcohol and parties were happening and they couldn't get it in their own neighborhoods. You know, just, mm-hmm. like, more proof that Black people gave us all the best things, you know, that we have, like, music and entertainment and dancing. Yeah. But then over the course of the 30s, after the 18th Amendment, the prohibition of alcohol was repealed and the country went into a depression. Tolerance waned, obviously. And as she grew more popular, her celebrity, like her being a celebrity, became less acceptable and performing in South Harlem became super difficult. Yeah. Oh, so another thing that I really love about her was that she was super known for confronting male entitlement and sexual abuse in her lyrics and obviously declared her own sexual independence, like, without abandon. A 1928 recording of her worried blues for OK Records, uh, Bentley sang, What made you men folk treat us women like you do? I don't want no man that I got to give my money to. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And not much has changed, it feels like. No, absolutely not. (laughs) Like, it's weird, though, because Harlem, the Harlem Renaissance is this like weird point in time where everything actually seemed to be super acceptable. Mm -hmm. You know, like there was this like little moment of a renaissance where like everything was okay. Like it didn't matter who you liked. I'm sure, I'm sure it's different. And I think it was mostly in the pocket of Harlem 
right. um, versus the whole world. But, you know, it's interesting how that can work and people are constantly pulling back from it, you know, like yeah. it clearly yeah, works and, for everyone. <laughs> right. And just how like, I mean, you know, throughout history, how there have been pockets of real like economic or cultural growth in the black community that is uh, celebrated or ignored by the by like whatever authority figures be that like the police or white supremacy or whatever who then come and quash it. it oh yeah, yeah. and it's like fine until it gets too big and it stops entertaining them right you know right or, like, or it becomes a threat or it becomes a threat like black wall street mm-hmm, exactly fucking insane story if you guys don't know about it you should look it up you it's... should fucking 100 percent look it up let's go back for quick history of gladys bentley who was born on august 12 1907 to her parents, Mary Bentley and George Bentley, both from Trinidad, as I said earlier. Um, she was the oldest of four siblings. She does not remember having a happy childhood. Her parents were, from a very early age, like worried that, about her attraction to women. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, Rebecca? <laughs> I was just, uh, you know, acknowledging that I heard that. <laughs> So she poured herself into music. Her talents as a pianist and songwriter showed up super quick. She moved to New York City at 16 and began performing at house parties that were called buffet flats. I don't. That's cool. Yeah, I don't know. I've I never heard that. I don't know that. that I understand it. So there are illicit clubs, usually in brownstones, that offered music, alcohol, gambling, and oh, yeah. okay. And, so like a flat, like as in an apartment, and then you can get everything that you want here: dancing, music, oh, food, yeah. drinks. Oh yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. fun. I'd go to a buffet flat. I would fucking hell yeah. I'd, well, I, I'd go to any buffet. <laughs> Same. Except, <laughs> except that all you can eat sushi buffet in Fifth Avenue that makes me feel really weird. Oh yeah. No. Fuck that. <laughs> No, don't don't go to that. Buffet. But I love me a buffet. Like I can't yeah. choose one. I love, I love, cho- I love and hate choices at the same time. <laughs> I know you end up with like a plate piled with stuff, and you have like four with, bites, like, and then you're full. Two things. <laughs> yeah, I like, know. Two of each from every spot. <laughs> I know. To find out more about our buffet tactics, please focus <laughs> on the notes. Um, <laughs> so she was recorded intermittently in the 20s and 30s, but none of them truly capture how awesome her live performances were. Which makes sense. Like, if you can s- even see how fast her fingers are moving at the on the Groucho Mark show, it's incredible. And she, not surprised, wasn't widely played on the radio. But shocker, she was, yeah, shocker. But she was a huge fixture at all the clubs and toured nationally after she graduated from the the buffet flats and the red party <laughs> circuit. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, she be- obviously became like a huge nightclub performer. Um, in an article she wrote about her life for Ebony Magazine and said that soon after arriving in Harlem, she auditioned at the Madhouse, a venue on 133rd Street, which was in need of a male pianist. And at the Madhouse, the boss was reluctant to give her a chance until she had to convince him by sh- literally showing him how fast her hands flew over the keys. And when she finished her first number, the burst of applause was like insane. Yeah, it's like, imagine how many even like to this day how many people with incredible talent and skills and potential are not given an opportunity because of gender, race, or, you know, sexual orientation or whatever. And it also must take so much, like, she's clearly such a bold human. Like, it must take so much gusto to, like, be like, no, you're going to fucking listen to me. Like, that takes Mm -hmm. a lot more than people realize. So, like, that alone, and to be, like, a Black woman who is a lesbian and, like, 
you know, dresses like a man. I can only imagine. Yeah, at that time. At that time, what, how much she had to, like, prove and to force people to prove. Like, to, like, be like, let me show you how fucking mm-hmm. good I am. For the customers of the club, one of the unique things about her was uh, obviously her shirts and her Oxfords and her short Eaton jacket and her hair cut straight back. But advertisers would promote her as a male impersonator. <laughs> I feel like they missed the point. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> as they <laughs> often do. Um, and at the height of her fame, she said in an ebony essay that she was living on Park Avenue with a team of servants paying $300 a month in rent, which is over $5,000 in today's dollars. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so she she was doing okay. <laughs> yeah. She also at one point told uh, reporters that she married a white woman in a, uh, at a ceremony in New Jersey and I, just from the quote that she said to this gossip columnist is, makes me love her. She had told the gossip columnist that she had just gotten married and the gossip columnist asked, well, who's the man? And she scoffed and said, man, it's a woman. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So there's- like, Obviously that columnist hadn't done any research. <laughs> no, right? Seriously. Yeah. Um, there's no record of that union taking place, but the story still a glimpse of like how- fucking unapologetically open she was yeah. um, about her sexual orientation. What, and this this is a quote from Wilson um, that I spoke about earlier who said that one of the frustrating and joyous things about Gladys Bentley was that she was constantly reinventing herself. Oftentimes when she mentioned something about her personal life, you had to take it with a grain of salt and not necessarily take it for the truth because she like knew what people wanted and she knew what the press wanted. Yeah. I mean, creating a persona is like is – it's like she branded herself and before branding was a real thing. You know what I mean? Like she's – talk about being ahead of her time. Yeah. Yep. She wound up uh, – an observer called her show because she would uh, sometimes appear at the Apollo Theater or the Cotton Club. Um, she held residency at a club on Park Avenue in Midtown. But in 1934, uh, Midtown Manhattan, the, the King's Terrace was padlocked by the police officer's after an observer complained of the dirty songs performed there. Um, and an observer called it a masculine garb smut singing entertainer. <laughs> ah, she probably loved that. I hope so, but she apparently also shut down the King's Terrace. Wow. It led That's... to the shutdown. Wow. It's like they decided, they like had let her go ahead and do what she was going to do until someone made like a official complaint about it. And then they felt like they didn't have a choice. And you know, it was a Karen. You fucking oh, know sure. it was like a girl with a dog in a leash. At Central Park. <laughs> it's like Amy Cooper 50 years yeah. ago. She's not even in the club. <laughs> right. She's just walking by outside. Yep. So anyway, I'll skip, I'll skip pretty much to the end, but she never stopped touring, but she, at some point, you know, the Harlem, after the prohibition was repealed and everybody started to get a little bit less accepting, she moved to L.A. and was sometimes often forced to wear skirts on stage. Like the only place that she wasn't was Mona's 440 Club, 440 Club, the first lesbian bar in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. But then the Red Scare brought a new wave of repressive social politics in the McCarthy era. Um, right. And they targeted homosexuals. And obviously she's a she became a national menace. Uh, just for being who she is. <laughs> but she never stopped touring. She began to consistently like wear women's clothing in the 1950s. She got married twice to men. One of them who denied it, which is weird. Really? <laughs> yeah. Weird. 
And then here's where it gets a little sad, but let's not forget this person was fantastic. Uh, in 1952, the same year she signed a recording contract with the Swing Time label, she wrote in the Ebony essay titled I Am a Woman Again that she had undergone hormone treatments to help her identify as a heterosexual. Uh, she described the life of, yeah, I know. Ugh. Imagine working that hard to be who you are. It's just, it just goes to show you that it's like a daily struggle for, you know, depending yeah. on where you are and what time and all this kind of stuff. If you're not living in an accepting society, it's, you yeah. have to, you have to struggle to define yourself as you want to be every single totally. day. Sometimes you just get tired. And yeah, man. And even if you don't, like, that's a conversation I was having with somebody the other day where they're like, and I, and I agree, like, don't get me wrong, like, there is persistence and you have to keep fighting. Like, that's what life is all about, obviously. But that doesn't fucking include, like, people straight up being like, okay, well, like, if you can't perform anywhere because right. of the color of your skin or because of your sexual orientation or your, you know, sexual preference, then, like, what the fuck are you supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, at a certain point, it comes, like, it's beyond what you're able to fight for. Yeah. Because, like, you can keep fighting and when people look back, the fight will be really important. But God, in the time, it just must feel so fruitless. Yeah. And also, like, look how easily we erased. I had no idea who this was. Yeah, I didn't either. It was so fucking easy to erase this person who was, like, obviously clearly talented and so many other names came out of the Harlem Renaissance. Where's hers? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, like, yeah, yeah, it seems like she went through a lot in the past, like, last few years. I mean, in 1958 was... Uh, two years before she died and she was on the Groucho Marx show and she was performing still. So she never stopped doing that. In 1960, um, sh- she did die of pneumonia and she had been living in California with her mother. Um, and she was waiting to be ordained as a minister in the Temple of Love in Christ. Oh, <laughs> I know. But yeah, I don't know. Like, she's just a super awesome example of, I don't know, doing shit on her own terms in yeah. the entertainment business during the fucking Great Depression and the Prohibition era. Like, she always... And McCarthy era. I mean, that's a McCarthy. tough fucking time. Dude, that's for just... real. Yeah, that's one after another. Um, Yeah, Wilson said this, and I totally agree that she should be remembered as a gender outlaw. Yeah. She was just defiant in who she was, and for gender and sexuality studies today, she shows the performance of gender. Oh, I think... Yeah, I think that's a really inspiring story, even though... I think so, too. I feel like, you know, you really wish... I mean, who knows who she would have been without the tests that she faced. Yeah. But at the same time, you wish that you could really see people just be themselves without having to fight for that basic right. Totally. But you know? at the end of the day, like, I at first was like, this seems like such a really sad ending. But also, it's kind of not like this person lived through all these, like, crazy fucking ridiculous eras and still was performing until the day that she died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's what she was fucking good at. And she was still bringing joy and like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And she fucking killed the Renaissance. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go look up her videos. Oh, it's beautiful. You should. And at on the Groucho Mark show, it was so funny because she at some point was like, he was like, why don't you sing us something? And she's like, well, what do you want to hear? I have 500 songs that I could sing you right now. <laughs> and I was like girl <laughs> that's awesome that is so cool i'll have so. to look up that performance i'll put it in the episode notes for everybody yeah definitely look her up um when she's singing and doing piano her piano is like outrageous yeah awesome but... who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery and especially when solving it means that i get to bring out my competitive side 
even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Wander with us into a world of magic. Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with and reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. We'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. I've got Krista Scruggs. Mm. She's really fucking awesome. Um, so in, I was trying to figure out who I wanted to talk about. Um, and while I was looking around the internet and kind of trying to find someone, uh, interesting who I'd never heard of before, I found this woman, Krista Scruggs. She's a biodynamic winemaker. Ooh. And the thing that made me really excited is that her tagline for her vineyard that she has is, uh, just fucking fermented juice. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I love her. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so she grew up in California. Uh, she's currently living in Vermont. And she ha- so she works in Vermont and in the Hill Country Wine region of Texas. So she kind of classifies that as, as her, like, northern and southern hemisphere for winemaking. Yeah. Um, she founded her own label called Zaffa Wines. And the name means counterspell, uh, which comes from uh, the book um, The Brief and Wondrous Life of Oscar Wow from Juno Diaz. Yeah. And she thinks of herself as a counterspell because she is a queer black woman living in Vermont in a very white state, doing uh, working in an industry that is very white. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's just this counterspell. She's this really unique, interesting, hardworking woman who's just like revolutionizing, it seems like, what Vermont wines can be. Yeah. So originally... She wanted to be the first woman to play basketball in the NBA. Oh, my God. Yeah. Big dreams. But she hurt <laughs> her knee. So okay. she decided to try doing something else. So she started working with a wine company in California, but felt disconnected to the land. And so she started, she decided she wanted to kind of travel around and learn yeah. some more about the farming aspect. She wanted to know everything about how good wine is made. So she went to like, you know, like she was in washington state she went to italy she went to france learning everything you know how to harvest how to grow about you know ph balance all this kind of stuff and so after all of that she moved back to the u.s ended up getting a job in california which wasn't for her and she moved to vermont where she started working with this woman deirdre heakin who was her mentor um and in vermont she was able to start her the label zaffa and her first vintage she called jungle fever which stood out in like the natural wine world because of because it was really good apparently and the 
name is super provocative for like this really like you know hoity-toity uh industry right um so six months after pouring her first wine she was named one of wine enthusiasts 40 under 40 tastemakers Mm. back in 2018 so i read this interview that she did with marissa ross from bon appetit magazine and she was talking about how she didn't find the reward terribly like supportive of her journey and what she had done she felt that as a black queer female winemaker she thought it was kind of like skewed almost and this is a quote from the article she said there is this narrative that i'm this poor black girl from oakland who got plucked out of a wine bar started making wine in vermont on a lark and became an overnight success but i'm from fresno from central california's farming belt her grandpa was a farmer in california so she grew up spending weekends farming with him and it, it highlights the fact that like the story of black farmers in America is not told at all. Um, And there's this assumption that you have to have this like ghetto to glory uh, timeline that every black person came from an inner city um, and just, you know. Like, why is that the only narrative? (laughs) Right, right. And that talent was stumbled upon instead of honed. Um, And that it's like luck instead of hard work. And it's just, you know, it's it's crazy. So she said that, you know, she she just found like the whole thing, like part of why she got her she wants her fame to be about the quality of her wine. And of course, she wants to change the face of winemaking and and be like, it's acceptable for anybody to do it. But she also doesn't she wants her story told accurately. Mm -hmm. So she decided be nice. (laughs) Right. So she decided that instead of just launching her own label, she also wanted to be um, a a vinerone. Which means it's a grape farmer. So she has her own vineyard also. Okay. She does it all. And she only hires women. Fuck yeah. Yeah. She's like, I know that, you know, you're seeing my vineyard and you're just seeing women around here. And I'm making an intentional decision to only hire women because I think it's important for us also to have a place. Um, And I want us to have better representation. What a weird concept. Right? (laughs) <laughs> and she, and and she's she's talking about how like people don't spend as much time talking about how good her wine is. I mean, the descriptions that I read of her wine was like I want to taste it, but she spotlighted for her race and her gender because that's the story that people want to hear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um and uh like those people love those like rags to riches stories. Mm-hmm. Um and she said, you know, I'm proud of my history and I'm proud of who I am. Um and I'm happy that people want to highlight all of these things about me because they are acknowledging that she's struggled in a homogenized industry. Um, but, but that's they only take, part of the story. Exactly. Like, they don't take the time to actually get to know her and learn her story. And her work. Um, like, yeah. also, like, the things that she's making. Exactly. Versus exactly. her – I mean, her story is important, but, like, what she's making, it like, focus on, like, how she got that, how she do that. Right. Right. She's not making the wine for her story to get out. She's making the wine because she loves to make the wine. Yes. But yeah. she, she and she was able to break into this very white and male industry because she's fucking good. Yeah. And it's not because someone took pity on her. Right. You know? Yeah. So she says uh, another thing that she said was that um, People are always saying like there's like this idea about like the importance of diversity, of course, but that people um, that she gets included in these different lists because people say that they need her. Mm -hmm. Um, And like this idea that they need someone who looks like her doing what she's doing. 
So okay. they commodify, they like commoditize the fact that she's mm. a black woman in Vermont rather than, like you were saying, allowing her product to speak for itself. Yes. Yeah. Um, and she said, I thought this quote was really cool. She said, they're commoditizing the, ba- the fact that I'm a black woman in Vermont. It doesn't just undermine the last eight years of my life. It erases my history, which already happens as a black person. Mm-hmm. But she's built this like really amazing community in Vermont. She became friends with the people who make Shaxbury Cider. Um and they gave her a loan to help her open a cellar and tasting room in Burlington. Cool. Um, yeah. And then her apple supplier, because she does some like grape, some wine with foraged apples in it. Ooh. Um, yeah. Her, I want to go to her. I do too. I know. I just want to take a road trip. Yeah, let's go there. <laughs> like my mouth is salivating. <laughs> I know. Um, so she also, uh, her. Apple supplier, this guy Carl Cobb of Canamic Farms, he helped her to get a lease for 40 acres of land on Grand Isle. So she was able to have 10 acres of vines and 20 acres of apples. So that opened, I think, for the 2019 year. Yeah. So she's just really awesome. She's like, you know, I'm doing all of this stuff. She says she's far away from her family and from, you know, anyone that looks like her. Uh, but she says if that's the cost of that's what the cost that I have to pay to to make the wine and to to like live my purpose then that's what I'm going to do and I'm just going to let what I do speak for itself yes she's just like I watched so many videos with her and she's just so fucking cool awesome (laughs) yeah and I just like you know been thinking a lot about like how overwhelmingly white the you know alcohol and wine industry Dude, especially is. wine are you kidding yeah. me i don't know i just love it i just yeah. i just love i love this story and i just it's you know it's like thinking about all of the other you know groundbreakers in all sorts of different industries these different trailblazers who just open up possibility you know yeah. it takes it takes one person to to really like smash expectations yeah to let other people's minds grow to what possibilities are there for them yeah absolutely Ugh. So yeah, I'm excited to see. I like that what here I am attitude. Yeah, you know, like yeah. gla- even like gl- just thinking about Gladys and this woman too, just being like, "This is me." Yeah, it's fucking awesome. Yeah, and I'm just doing what I do because I love it. Yeah, and so get out of my way. I need that. I need that in my head. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that's Krista Scruggs, and she's like young too. You know, just like crushing it. She's like around our age. I feel like. I mean, I didn't look at her birthday. She looks like she's around our age. I don't know. But yeah, she was she's pretty. She sounds she's pretty phenomenal. Cool. Yay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was great. Yeah. I love that. I can't wait to taste her wine. I know. And like also love that we're I'm kind of love that we're in the middle of her story. Yeah, exactly. I like exactly. that. I like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm really interested to see where she goes because I mean, she, you know, she could change everything. Yeah, because natural wine is exploding right now. So imagine, you know, a like queer black woman getting on the ground floor and and being able to really revolutionize that entire industry. Hell yeah. Just changes possibility. Yeah. Changes everything. Amazing. Yay. Cool. Yes. That's Krista Scruggs. That's Krista Scruggs. First and foremost, wine is an agricultural product. And I hope that when people see me carrying buckets and bells of grapes and it clicks with them, 
that this, what's in their bottle, came from somewhere, and these people are wearing their clothes that they're wearing out in the vineyard, and that they can make that 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 line that this first is something that was farmed and had a lot of TLC and care that went into it. Now that you've met some really <laughs> awesome uh, trailblazers, just want to kind of bring it back around to current day and everything that's happening and just say that this is a marathon. A lot of the changes that have been made in the past have taken weeks or months or years of sustained movement. And so it's okay to take some time off to care for yourself because you're no good if you're burned out. Yeah, you have to take energy. You have to, you have to get that energy back to come back and fight another day or you'll fucking burn out and we can't have that right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so like if you need to take a day or two off, go to the beach with your friends if it's safe. Yes. Um, you know, make yourself a nice dinner, turn your phone off, have watch a watch a bullshit movie. Yeah. Take yeah, a bath. I've been watching a lot of crap 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 shows afterwards. <laughs> yeah. It's important. And so don't, you know, Give yourself permission because um, taking care of yourself is the best way to make the biggest difference. Got to put your mask on before you can help anybody else. Exactly. That's what they say on the airplane. That's what I say all the time. I'm always (laughs) looking for my mask. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I've gone outside without it so many times. I feel like I'm the person in my like imaginary plane, you know, and my imaginary plane is my mental scape. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, where's the mask? You know, nobody can see me floating around, but I'm <laughs> reaching everywhere for my mask because I can't find it. Uh, That's anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll put my mask on and then I'll help you with yours. Thanks, girl. <laughs> no problem. I got you. Thanks for listening to Welcome to My Vagina. It's time for us to slide on out of here. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram at Welcome to My Vagina. On Twitter at Welcome to My Vag. Soon to be on Medium. You can donate to us at Patreon, LiberaPay, PayPal, and uh, Venmo at Welcome to My Vagina. Yeah, become a monthly subscriber. Yeah, yeah, go to welcometomyvagina.com and become a subscriber to our newsletter as mm-hmm. well. You can email us at welcometomyvagina at gmail.com. We like questions and fan art and jingles and suggestions for future episodes. True. Check out Jesse's awesome videos at on YouTube. Just search for Welcome to My Vagina. Check out Rebecca's awesome writing at franklyrebecca.com. And head on over to morebanana.com to check out all of the awesome projects by our production company. Yeah. And thanks, Kate. Thanks, Kate, for being our amazing, dope-ass fucking producer. <laughs> cool.